you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. God, I pray you touch my head, touch my mouth to speak your word tonight, we pray. Have your way in Jesus' name, we pray. In Jesus' name. Why don't you turn your, to your neighbor and say, I have no idea what between the anvil and the hammer means. You may be seated. The Bible refers to us as vessels to the Lord. But the truth is we're not only vessels to the Lord, but some of us are vessels to this world. Every one of us is a vessel. By being human, it means that we're vessels. You are a vessel. The question comes then, whose vessel are you? I often marvel how God has made us. Even David said we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And this is my vessel. I have 206 bones, one broke one time, (laughs) riding a bike across train tracks, we'll go into that later, but it also says I have two feet, two hands, two eyes, ears, lungs, kidneys, I hold in my body around 1.5 gallons of blood, I can safely lose 14% of that blood and nothing happens, that's a quarter gallon of blood. I think my problem is I have a blood problem. (laughs) Maybe not, but we're going to go with it. Every second I produce 25 million new cells. That means every hour 1 billion cells are reproduced in my body and in yours. Humans, whether we know it or not, are the only thing that has a chin. Apparently no other animal needs a chin Your nose can detect one trillion smells. You have 12 systems in your body, skeletal, muscular, reproductive, nervous, and some I can't pronounce, and urinary, and circulatory, and cardiovascular, and digestive. Some of us were given spare parts. That's not a weight joke. (laughs) That's an organ joke. You only need one kidney to survive. You only need one eye to see or one lung to breathe. I thank God for both. But he's given us some extras, and I thank God for those two. I think it's funny. I went to research in this, and I found out that we only breathe in and out of primarily one nostril. I know my dominant nostrils. Anybody know their dominant nostril? I have enough head colds that when that one gets messed up, 
If I lay on the other side of my head and everything drains to the left, I'm fine. But if we get over in that right, you know, quadrant, I'm just a mess. We use one nostril. And then they say that we are more than 99% identical on a genetic level. We are beautifully and wonderfully made. So if we are made with that in mind and I am a vessel, then what am I made for? What's the purpose of this vessel? What's my purpose? When will he be done with me? How can I maximize my life for the kingdom of God? How can I make sure I'm in his will? What if I don't want to be used? What if I hate this life? Have you ever wondered the mysteries of life? Tonight, twice we've heard it prayed for against suicide. If I didn't write the words in my notes, I don't know if I ever would have said it, but it's there before it was ever spoken. They say that this year alone, and I might even rehash over it, that uh, not this year, but over the past 20 years, that we have increased 25% of suicide rates from the year 1999. It is now the, the way that people turn because they don't understand who they are, the purpose of your vessel. David had a vessel. I'm going to refer to David a lot tonight. David had a lot to say about life. Not all of it was good. In fact, he had a lot that he got wrong. Uh, He could have been seen as a very negative part of the Bible. People told him how wrong he was. He told the world how wrong he was. And then God told him how wrong he was. And they wrote it down. And yet we look at David as somebody that was awesome. David said it like this, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin, my mother conceived me. He was saying, purge me with hyssop. That's like taking a mint antibacterial and completely covering yourself in it. (laughs) How dirty do you have to be where you make that statement, but he had a, a mind of who he was with God. David not only did that, but he also passed judgment on a very important parable when Nathan the prophet visited him. And he said, you know, here's a parable of a rich man and a poor man. And and what do you think, David? And David chose and he said, that one is wrong. That one needs to pay. That one should be judged by God. And Nathan said, good deal. That's you. And then God himself had a say. And he airs out all of David's laundry. And he begins to tell him, you killed Uriah. You sinned with his wife. God laid it out clear. You have blood on your hands. You can't even build my temple. David was a failure. Yet, he was also the only one where God had it written in his word that he's a man after my own heart. It's so ever-present and a reality in our lives that we seem to live in our failures. We don't like to understand or, or get beyond a failure. We sometimes like to be even the victim. Hello? We like to have that victimhood status. There's a reason I don't make a million dollars a year. There's a reason I, I can't seem to even find a steady job. There's a reason my relationships don't work out. There's a reason I can't find a career. And We all seem to have this. Everyone's got it in for me. But sometimes we don't take a look at who's the vessel. How can I change? How can I get back on a potter's wheel and allow him to mold me and make me again that I might be a better vessel in him? 
That's what David had, and, 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 and he knew that he had to get back on that potter's wheel. He said, I've got cracks, I've got faults, mold me, make me. This body of mine, all 12 systems in this body need to be remade and remolded. And for us to ever think that we're fine the way we are when we found God, we are solely wrong. There has to be change. There has to be breaking. When uh, Bishop Gonzalez was here, man, he honestly got under my flesh a little bit. He was up here happy as can be that we serve a God of pain and a God of sorrow and all that stuff. And I'm like, what in the world? Did you talk to me like that? Now listen, that was flesh and I prayed about it. But it very much made me think, who is this God I serve? Why is that so prevalent? Why is that a good thing? Why is, it, why is that the way it is? And it's hard for my flesh. But the truth is we're so lost sometimes that the thought of ending it all beats going through it all. There are some people that feel like life has been so bad, so down, that there's, there's no turning around, that really suicide or an ends to a means is, is justified and it's okay. There has been such a lie in our lives and in our world and in our, our families and houses and communities that it's okay if we just decide to take it and end it. We justify sin because that will ease the pain. We'll allow vices in our life trying to find ways to make sure that we make it through. And yet somehow something has clouded our mind to ever think about the eternal. This world we live in, this very church, is temporary. The job you have, the money you make, the bills you contain are temporary. You don't have to have debt collections in heaven. <laughs> Thank God. Those guys don't have that phone number. Jesus is on the main line, and he just seems to edit all that out. But we don't think eternal something, a Satan of of sorts, perhaps, comes into the mind and tells us, end it, give up, quit. How does that make anything better? That's a game over scenario. That scenario of ending everything because of the, the present circumstance and moment, it automatically takes you to the end of the game and not the good part. I need every moment available. I don't know about you. I love my life. I'm ready for heaven, but I love my life. Is it easy? No. Thank you. Thank God. I'm okay with it because I personally want to have my life ready for him. The awakening was themed as a reset. You know why? Because suicide doesn't reset things. It takes you to the worst possible end. 25% have been increased in suicide. I want you to see what a reset looks like. Y'all know what it means to be reset in your life? We themed it, and it was masterfully done over the past uh, a, a week or whatever beyond. It like the whole awakening, every bit of it, it was line upon line, precept upon precept. But there's sometimes, even especially if, if this is a youth service, young people hear me, sometimes we just don't get it all the way. So I want to take us to a biblical reset for just a moment. If you could... And Sister Shauna, I'm, I'm throwing you on the spot. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 15. This is right in the middle of the story where David and Nathan were talking. And Nathan, it says, departed 
unto his house. And the Lord struck that child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. There was a child that David and Uriah, or, or that David and Bathsheba had, and, and, and that child was supposed to make it, but the Bible says that uh, it was going to die because God said that child's done. The sin has happened. This is what's going to happen. So uh, verse 16 says, And David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted, and he went in and he lay up all night on the earth. And the elders of the house arose and went unto him and raised him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. He fasted. Came to pass on the seventh day, the child died. The servants of David feared to tell him the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken to our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? So David saw the servants whispering. David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said unto his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth. He washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came to the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house where he was required and set bread before him and he did eat. Then it says, then his servant said unto him, what thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive, but now when it's dead, you rise up and you eat bread? And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? Now he is dead, therefore I should fast that I can bring him back again. I will go to him, but he shall not return to me. The Bible says in verse 24, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son, and they called his name Solomon. Solomon. <laughs> That's my son. And the Bible says, And the Lord loved him. Allow me to preach for just a moment. In your life, there might have been some sin. This morning, I hope and pray that was all under the blood. We repented. I'm not taking us back to repentance. Some of us might need it, so that will be open. That will be available. That will be something we can do is get everything under the blood. The Bible said that even in David's life, I wonder if we could relate this. Maybe there's relationships you know aren't right. Maybe there's a job you know you shouldn't even be working there. It's not benefiting you. It doesn't, it doesn't elevate you into things that are eternal because of the temporary benefits. And so we'll get to a place where we will try to tune out everything. We'll make it right. We'll find excuses and we'll find ways to hide it. We'll find ways to get your wife's old husband killed. And bury all the, the sins and just get everything buried. And then God will find a way, thankfully, gracefully, and expose it with pain. And then you fast and you pray, praying that the relationship doesn't go away. Praying that the job doesn't cease and that the money pit still falls your way and, and maybe you've made all these good decisions and this is my livelihood. Lord, what are you doing? And you pray and you fast and then God still allows whatever that situation is to die. Then it's up to us to understand reset. David washed himself, got something to eat. The Bible says the servants came and they were very much uh, confused. What in the world are you doing? You fasted. 
You prayed seven days. You spent a week on your face when the child was alive, but now it's dead and now you're over it? David's like, yep, that's right. It's time to pick up. I fasted when it was alive. Now it's dead. Some of us in our lives need to get to the point where God might be trying to change some things. He might be causing pain. I'm going to get to why pain's important. But he might be causing some extreme discomfort in your life. Relationships that don't need to happen. That's to my young people. I don't, you, man, if you parents realized, you might think tonight I'm picking on your kid. I promise, I know of about five situations where kids outwardly say, I've got the wrong friends. Where do we learn that? Where is that okay? And so we spend time praying over our friends. Lord, bring them to God. Lord, help me to be a witness. God, help me not to fall back into the sin I was in. Maybe I picked up vaping. Maybe I, I was doing too much with a, a, a person or uh, someone of the opposite sex. Whatever the case might be, maybe I was going too far. Lord, I'm going to fast and pray that this relationship goes right or that these friendships, these, these things will go right. But when God lets it die, it's time to wash your face. It's time to get back to a place where you're supposed to be with God. Let the things that he's cursed be cursed. Let the things that are alive be alive. He didn't cause us to live in that kind of pain. Because when we allow that reset to happen, when we allow God to finally have the say, then the Bible says that David went and conceived again with Bathsheba. And when they came out, there was Solomon. And the Lord loved him. There are relationships in your life. If you'll get rid of the bad ones, let them die. Let God take you to the right place that you can get to a place where God truly is in love with what you've got going on in life. Where you're in his will and you know God is in this. God's behind this. I can move forward knowing God's a part of my life. When we don't do that, we just live in pain for no apparent reason. We allow ourselves to get to that point. Solomon was born and the Lord loved him. The problem is, is when we choose to live numb. I've been reading a book and it's all about leprosy. You know why leprosy just strikes a chord with me? It's the one, like, sickness in the Bible that related to, to sin. And it relates to sin in general. And they say that leprosy... When it starts, we usually start in maybe the hands or the feet and extremity. And it will begin to attack a nervous system just below the brain. It's a good book. It really gets into some gross stuff about the brain. But I loved when I read about how the Bible dealt with leprosy. It's a sin. It's a perfect representation of sin altogether. When leprosy takes over, it's a disease that attacks, attacks your nerves. When in full effect, you are numb everywhere. When a normal person runs a 5K race, they start out with their feet moving heel to toe, heel to toe. Just like most of us when we walk. How many of you have some uncomfortable church shoes? Got them on right now. I've got my good brown pair and then I've got these really nice black pair that I like. And I stand in this pair hurting, in pain a little bit, but it's okay because there is some, some real glorious things about pain. But they say when you begin to run that you will start running heel to toe, heel to toe. Eventually, if that begins to hurt because maybe the shoes aren't good or, or you get worn out, that you will automatically start to shift and you'll start to maybe 
take your feet out a little bit, or, or if you're more where your toes kind of point in, they might go in a little bit to where you're running side to side and less front to back. You will find ways to adjust to get through a 5K or whatever you're doing, running after the dog just two blocks away and your feet start to hurt. And they say that if your feet normally won't do that, that you will get blisters, that you could uh, tear an artery, or not an artery, but a, a ligament or a tendon. Too many words, there's too much health going on. You will tear these things and you will mess your world up because you don't make adjustments because of pain. Where a person with leprosy has to go off the memory of how do I walk. And they will push past what normal people begin to think is pain. They'll walk the same way, the same direction. They don't realize the toes went numb. Now a toe's getting smashed and there's, there's vessels being messed with and, and now the toe is getting wrinkled up in the shoe and they don't realize the shoe's on too tight and it's, it's pushing back against it and all of a sudden the toe will break and eventually get infected and eventually need to be taken off because they don't have pain. Leprosy, sin, numbs your life. You know why we serve a God of pain? Because I need to know how to correct if I don't correct it, if I don't get the little things right, like, man, Brainer, don't do that. That's a bad business deal. Man, Brainer, train your sons better because you're going to have issues. If I don't feel that pain of, of something maybe not right, am I living in sin? No, but maybe something needs adjustment. It keeps the, the tendons and the ligaments and the bones from breaking or tearing or being crushed in my life. It keeps something serious from happening with coarse adjustments. But sin allows numbness. With numbness, we can't avoid it. Lepers will walk the same way because memory tells them to walk the same way. In our world, we have a million things to deal with it when we don't know how to handle bad situations. Some of us will ultimately deal with drugs, some will deal with relationships. Whether you parents realize it or not, there's a thing called cutting. It's affected our church, whether you know it or not. They cut because they can't feel. Sin is leprosy. They'll live in it and they won't know why and they won't try to get out of it. All of a sudden, they'll turn to drugs, they'll turn to people, they'll turn to everything possible to where God is the last thing on their mind. Sorry if I'm talking about you. Whether you realize it or not, there's something that happens in your body. Truly, your brain doesn't stop forming until you're about 25. You know that? Until that point in time, you will start reacting more on emotion than logic. And so when you go through hormonal changes, that's all part of life. That God made us. We're beautifully and wonderfully made. But parents will react to your reaction. Parents will try to guide, and because I've got a young girl that's that's right before teen, preteen, and all that stuff. I'm I'm learning. There's times where she'll yell at me. We're gonna learn through it, and we're gonna look at her. She's got her eyes all bless her heart. She didn't know her dad was a preacher, and there's nothing she can do about it. But I have to learn that when they're being reactionary, because they don't know anything but emotion, that I have to be the logic for them. As a parent, I've got to help think with them that this isn't going to turn out right. And they can't see far ahead. They can only see what's right there because I haven't helped open the world up to them. 
I haven't let them know, hey, listen, there'll be another boy. There'll be another girl. There's a million fish in the sea. Hello? My mom told me that once. Y'all all right? I promise I'll go about maybe 10 more minutes. Is that all right? But I'm going to trail off here for a second. There was a lady I dated at one point in my life. I think she was four or five years older than me. And um, I don't know, I was 20, 21, something like that. Is this true? Am I all right? <laughs> Too transparent? <laughs> so I, I got to check my bases. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we were dating. Healthy, normal relationship, everything was fine. And my mom could see things in her I couldn't. And she would say, Brandon, she's not right for you. I'd say, Mom, you don't know. She loves God. She's going to be a teacher uh, at, a, at a Christian school. And she wants me to go to where she's at to help out with ministry. Things are looking up. But I thought with emotion. Looking back, that woman was terrible. Amen. God, God bless that beautiful bride on the front. She luckily has been in enough youth services and stuff where I've talked about pretty much all my exes. <laughs> I forget that she's there sometimes. I'm just kidding. I love my wife, and there's, I, I don't mean anything by that. I just, I'm glad she allows me to tell him she doesn't beat me up about it at home. So, But in leprosy, I want to tell you a story about that was documented. It's a man by the name of Sedan. Sedan. He was recovering from leprosy. The disease had riddled his body, and he had got to a point where they had made it to go dormant where he could somehow regain his life. And again, that feeling stops first in your hands and your feet. And he has been through multiple surgeries and discussions with doctors on how to get past what he was dealing with. So many reconstructive surgeries just to get the feeling of your hands back. You know how awesome we're made? There are thousands of books on how to make hands better, right? Wrong. There are books on how to help Get your hands back to where they were. There are books on limbs and things that you can place on yourself to get back. But there's never been a book written on how to make them better. God has made us perfectly, but this man with leprosy no longer had full ability to use his hands. And so surgery after surgery, reconnecting tendons and ligaments and, and all the things in the hand, the nerves, just trying to get things to lace back together so he could have feeling. And his, his sister was having an event to where he began to say, I need to go to this event. It'll be two days. I'll be right back here, and we can continue working on the therapy and on the things to get my hands back to, to the way, hopefully, that they were or at least good enough. The doctors began to say, we don't think you're ready. We don't think it's time. We don't think that you should do it. And so they said, well, let's just see. And so while he was recovering, uh, he went to see his sister in a neighboring town. The story says that he was sleeping on a cot one night, the very first night. Everything was going fine. He got into town good, and he woke up the next morning and noticed blood was dripping down from his hands. He noticed that part of a finger was now missing, and blood had been streaming not only from his hands, but he had saw little footsteps going through the blood. He realized that in the middle of the night, a rat had came and gnawed off his finger because he had no feeling. You don't realize how important touch is until you don't have it. And so they, he got bandaged up, horrified. He began to think, man, what should I do? I've only got one more night here. I, I guess this night I'm going to have to find a way to stay up all night. And so he sat up in his cot this time, bandaged up, 
just hoping and praying to get back to the doctors to see what was going on. And that night, uh, he was sitting there, and he had a book that he was reading and a candle that he was holding. Everything was good until that book was no longer keeping him awake. And so finally, he began to fall asleep, and the candle would burn down to enough to burn his other hand into pieces. Both hands, surgery after surgery, riddled him, made him almost useless. Crying went back to the doctors. The doctors were Christian doctors that were trying hard to work in places like India, which is where this man was from. And, and so they began to cry with him, and, 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 and it devastated him. He thought leprosy was over, and his life was getting back to, the do- uh, to normal. And so he went back to those doctors. And immediately, as they were crying, he began to cry out, and he said, How can I ever be set free without pain? I don't know why you have to go through what you go through. Pastor, how do you explain so much revival? How do you explain that the service after service we had and then to feel a week later like the prayer list has never been longer? To feel like a week later lives and families have never been more torn apart trying to hold the pieces back together. But if you're in leprosy, you're going to cry out and say, how can I truly be free? Without pain. David knew pain. He knew rebuke. He knew hurt. He knew loss. He knew when the promise arrives. And and he said it in in Psalms 139. He said, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my laying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, oh Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot obtain it. Where can I go but from your spirit? Where can I flee but from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall you lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall follow me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You are informed, uh, you formed my inner parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. I told you I'm going to be done in five minutes, and I haven't even explained my title, have I? Between the anvil and the hammer. I'm going to do my best to explain it in five minutes. Y'all all right with that? There are three bones in your ear. They have long names, which I don't care to pronounce, and short names. And two of the three bones are called the anvil and the hammer. They're the three smallest bones you have in your body. Without these bones, you have 200 bones, three per side. (laughs) And it's through the anvil and the hammer that you have all hearing. It's through that anvil and the hammer which everything is beginning to be processed and locked away. There are brain surgeries that they do for people with nerve conditions. And these surgeries, when they have them, they will find that the best way to find out, because there are some people with such chronic pain that they'll go to actually have nerves clipped in their brain just to stop the pain. 
And so they began to do some of these surgeries, and they would open up a part of the skull, a quarter-inch thick piece of ivory, just a massive plate covering everything you have between the anvil and the hammer. They say that when they open it up, they would begin to put an electric charge to, to different nerves, knowing where they needed to be to affect the part of the body that they were affecting. This one woman walked in and they said that even a slight smile, the thought of sneezing, would throw her in such an attack that her entire side of her face would begin to wince and just hold it like a massive Charlie horse. They said that the one time that they tried to do any type of work on her, the thought of a needle coming close messed her up for hours. So finally they got in there to do surgery and they began to ask her, is this the spot? And she said, well, that feels like my eye. Okay, don't touch that one. Is this the spot? Well, that feels like this. Is this spot? Yeah, that feels like it. And so they would begin to sniff. As they do surgeries on people, they can find out, and they can put an electric charge. They had some people laughing, reliving memories from 20 years ago, moment by moment. It's amazing what lies between the anvil and the hammer. Beethoven himself was deaf by the age of 24. He lived to be in his 50s wrote most of his composed sonatas and, and all of his compositions much later in life, and he would do it completely deaf. We remember the deaf part. He wasn't born deaf. You wouldn't know what music was if you were born deaf. Amen? Okay. You wouldn't. <laughs> and so he would begin to play, and they would say that as he would play that he would never hear the music he composed, that is, the eardrum, the three bones, the sound receptors, the cells, never participated in the creative art, yet his brain internally reconstructed tone, harmony, and rhythm so that he could hear what he wrote. Music is one thing that I love to death. I played it for years. There are many songs I could play on this trumpet, and I haven't touched this thing at least three or four years, I would guess. That's my second music teacher over there that looks at me and, God bless her, Sister Sherry. But I could play about any song I used to play as a kid. They would have a book called the Arbin's Book, and we called that the Trumpet Bible. I had one teacher, he loved me so much that he gave me one from the 50s that was written in French. No idea what it's worth, but it's one of my heirlooms, one of my little prized possessions. Because I knew what I could do with this thing. Beethoven used to use something just like this to create every masterpiece and every symphony. My point is some of us, some of us have memories and prayers and moments that we've locked away. We feel like we've forgotten them. Y'all thought I was going to play some. I ain't playing nothing. Sorry, sis. This is my instrument now. There has to be verses that I've locked away. There has to be that time when I can turn and I can tell, why am I saved? Why am I a vessel of honor? Am I of honor or dishonor? Do I know? Can I tell what's locked away in me? This morning we were called to repentance. Tonight, as an altar call starts, I want to call us to a place of commitment, a place where we don't go back to who we were, 
a place that doesn't require 11 months and then another 35 or 21 days of prayer and fasting just to hopefully feel something from God. I don't know what this year holds, and I don't care. I can't put down my instrument. I can't wait to go deaf and to go numb before I begin to do the things which God's called me to do. As the music comes, I had a lot more I was going to say, and I'm going to keep it short for the sake of time. The leper that once came to Jesus, there were ten of them. The Bible says that they all came saying, unclean, unclean. They were all healed and they went away and the one came back. Began to worship and to praise and Jesus made him stand up and say, where are the others? Where are the rest? Jesus' simple words back to them, to that leper, was arise, go thy way, your faith has made you whole. Leprosy attacks from just below the brain down. This is why a lot of people will slip into sin or into some sort of being mentally in a fog, but it doesn't totally make them nuts because leprosy attacks attacks from just below the brain. You might be deceived. You might have a lot of things wrong, but you're going to feel that you're right and really sin might be present. A lifestyle, relationships, a thing that you go to day after day might never feel right, but because you can still think right, you'll think that you're in the right place. You're in the right mind. The Bible says that he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Some of us have to take back control of our mind and give it right back to him. I need a mind that says I've got to spend time practicing. You know how much I practice this? I practice this an hour a day every day of my life. From the age of about nine until I was about 20 hour a day. They say that to master something, you have to give about 10,000 hours to it. That was just practice. Then I would play about three hours every day at school. Then I got scholarships to go to Ball State. Ball State, I learned what playing really meant. On Tuesdays, I would start at 7 a.m. and I wouldn't get done until around 9 p.m. And only thing I'd take to class was this. Because I knew if I was going to be the best, it took practice. Where have we been? Why aren't we trying to be professional in our Christianity? I'm not saying to be religious but to be a follower of Christ. Why aren't we practicing to be apostolic, to understand what it means to be birthed with the church at Pentecost? Why don't we have that depth to say, now I know what it means to pray for someone like I'm going through it. God's desire is that we get deeper in here. So when that next batch of new people come in, we can pray with them because there's a depth and an understanding of who they are and why they're here. This morning, right here, man, you could feel it. It was thick. They didn't even know what to do. 
They hugged each other. They were out of words. They couldn't explain the tears. They couldn't explain the emotion. And they hadn't done a thing yet. They hadn't even walked another 30 feet. They hadn't raised their hands and filled up. Can you imagine what that will feel like when they get the whole truth in them? God is desiring for each and every one, young people, old person alike, that this becomes us. That we're about the things that are eternal, not the things that are temporary. That we truly have a mind that is in Christ Jesus. Not a mind that's numb of pain. Not a mind that says, well, look at this world. It's just going down. I'm going to go down with it. No, we've got to be ready for him. We've got to say that, yes, the world might go down, but that just makes the sun all that much brighter. That makes that city on a hill that can't be hit all that much brighter. He's preparing us for this time. Stand with me. I wonder if you just close your eyes, raise your hands. I think God wants to do something tonight in our minds. God wants to take us someplace special in our minds. As they begin to sing, why don't you just reach out to him and just begin to give everything you have. Jesus' name. That's it, church. Just take a minute and cry out to him. It's early yet. I just want to sit here at your feet. Oh, God. I'm caught up in this holy moment. Thank you, Jesus. I never want to leave. That's it, church. Cry out. That's it. Just cry out for a moment. this song speak to you tonight. Thank you, Jesus. It's almost March. This ain't some fad at the beginning of the year where you just let all of your resolutions die in 10 days or in two days. I wonder if tonight I can recommit my life to him. Lord, I'm going to give you every bit of me. I'm going to find a way to pray without ceasing when I'm on the clock. Lord, when I talk to coworkers, God, when I, when I find myself to be able to work alone, God, I'm going to bask in your presence Lord, at home, I'm going to be the father that you've called me to be. I'm going to live close to you, Jesus. I'm going to know you like you know me. I'm going to be close to you the way that you're close to me. I want to open up these altars. They're going to sing the song. If you don't want to come, I ask you just listen to the lyrics and search your soul. But to the rest of us, why don't we find a place to recommit our lives to God? Why don't we find a place to reconnect, a place to recommit to Him tonight?
wonder if some of our parents would find your student, find your child. As a family, let's recommit to God who we are going to be. We're going to pray at night before bed. We're going to pray together as we wake up. Why don't you find your student, find your child, find your family and pray with them. Jesus' name.
Yeah.